So the title of this evening's Dharma Talk is The Primary Assumptions. Primary first, the first assumption. The first assumption seems to be that there's something else, something out there, something, something out there. That there's an other, and that's soon followed by, well, if there's something out there, then there must be something here. Seeing, witnessing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking about something out there. This is commonly called duality. Sometimes it's called uh, the way the eight worldly dharmas show up, or a phrase in playing, playing, living, life and death, for that matter. There's a couple more things. But any kind of duality will fit that. So what happens is when we uh, live our life and we're going along, we tend to, everything is going smooth and it doesn't seem to be a problem, but as soon as there's a problem with anything, anywhere, out there, in here, what happens is blame. We start to blame this, or we blame that, and we accuse, and we take issue with it, because we don't see that things are dependently arisen. In other words, anything that looks like a separate thing has a certain kind of separation or identity to it, but the fundamental situation that's happening there, happening there is it is dependent on all kinds of other things. There is no own being or self-being that is central and, and um, unique and sovereign unto itself as a human form. Excuse me. So it doesn't mean there isn't something happening here that seems like a, a self, but the fundamental understanding is not separate. And so if we don't see that just as it is, we tend to suffer and we tend to cause suffering for others and go to war with them over our opinions, our ideas, our hopes and fears. Uh, if you look around, there's warfare everywhere. You can't find a single war that ever solved any problem at all. You can come up with a politics or philosophy around it and say, well, yeah, the, we went to war and stopped the Germans. You know, that's not looking at the entire situation. And I'm not going to go off into politics. No. So there's a, there's a formula in Buddhist teaching and what's called Yogacara, mind-only teaching. And uh, one of the teachings uh, by a scholar monk by the name of Vasubandhu uh, put it this way, and I'm paraphrasing it, I can't go, but it's, it's close. So when in consciousness or perception or awareness, when awareness doesn't reside, when awareness, awareness, smell, taste, touch, thinking, think of a red envelope, got it? Thought that arises in the mainstream in the form of a memory showing up in a visual way. When awareness or consciousness does not fail to reside in just perception only, just the perception. Here's a perception. There's no one hearing that, and there's nothing to be heard that is separate. There is a hearing, but it's not separate. There is a thinking. There are thoughts, there are emotions, feelings, memories, but they're not separate. So when awareness does not reside or stay in its aspect and its relationship with whatever is arising or whatever is seeing the arising or witnessing that, when that awareness does not reside in just the perception of it, not the object, not the, the observer, but just the perception, then the two, two, uh, the, the two kinds or the two ways of grasping, the two ways of being at odds with everything, will not cease to operate and you will continue to fight with your world or agree with your world or ignore your world. Fight with your world, agree with your world, ignore your world. This is a very 
rotation of consciousness that causes what the Buddha and other teachers down into the centuries refer to as samsara, or the wheel of life and death. Who you are, your body is going to is born and it's going to die, like you're saying, aren't you thinking that? But what is not going to die is that which has not been born, and who you actually are. If I may be so bold to point this out to you, my friends, is unborn. Who you actually are doesn't come into existence the way the body does. The body mind comes into existence. Has ears, nose, tongue, body, mind, feet, so forth. And if you don't have feet, you'll live your whole life trying to understand why you weren't born with feet. So there's all kinds of things that can take up your mind. That would not be a particularly good existence. Perception only. That means that the object of the perception, if you're seeing this, and the identity apparent or imputed, imputed identity, the believed identity that is you, your shall we say, ego, your self-centeredness, your narcissism, your ego, witnesses that. And you think, being so bold to say this, that you think they're two different things. And you think you can get away from some objects and grasp other objects and ignore other objects. You can, for a little while, it's called illusion. It's also called delusion. You're deluded about the nature of your world. You have conflicting emotions. You want this. But then you have another emotion that does not want that. I want this, but I should, shouldn't have it. I want that, but that's too much. I want to go there, but I might get in trouble. And then the other uh, one of the two veils, you know, classical called two veils, is uh, mistaken beliefs about the nature of reality, just thinking that there is more than one thing. The, one of the ways that you can look at this is is to see if, pick out an afternoon, pick out 10 minutes, and stop believing everything. Stop believing, stop disbelieving, and stop ignoring. And just <coughs> receive. Don't produce anything particularly. Just receive. Receive colors, receive shapes, receive voices, receive sounds, receive smells, receive all that, all through the six sense fields, including the mind. Just receive. Put everything on receive and just observe that. And it seems necessary to have a, a sitting practice. It seems necessary to have a a practice where you're doing what? You're training your mind. You're training your mind to just observe. Very simple. Like it's just like you're turning yourself into a, you could say, a, like a scientist. It's just going to observe. I'm just going to see what is fundamentally there. And what you will notice is when you endeavor to do that, uh, sitting meditation, you will notice that your your mind comes in with all kinds of commentary on what that is. I like it. I don't like it. It's good. It's bad. I shouldn't think this. I shouldn't be thinking that. That's just wrong. Or I really want to have good thoughts and then you start thinking kind, nice, peaceful thoughts. Not incorrect. It's just that it's circular. So you just had a little thought. Alright, thanks. Primary. First primary. Just before the second. You said we do not come into existence or who we are fundamentally does not come into existence. Um, as long as we're in a body, what is our responsibility to the relative things that do arise and fall in, in this relative world? Just receive. Treat them, treat, be a, be a good, be a good host for everything that happens, even really threatening, difficult things. Fight with anything, you're going to lose. You're not going to lose to the, you might win fighting with something, but fundamentally you will lose because you will suffer. I'm not condemning you to anything, I'm just taking, relaying 
how this uh, looks from not only from this perspective, but from these teachings that go back 2,500 years more. Um, something else you said was pick an afternoon, stop believing, disbelieving yeah. in a way. Um, how would you encourage us to go about that? Uh, first, sit all morning. <laughs> sit and practice not buying it, not selling it, not shutting up. Just and the way we do that is we if you sit still, which you all of you have done a little bit of sitting, even those who are new, sit down, hold still, and we'll just watch. And what you will see if you do that and hold the body very still, the awareness will start to track things that are in motion. And one of the things that is always in motion, it seems, is the mind. It's all the same. Oh, I get it. Wait, it's good, it's bad, I shouldn't do that. What about that one time? How am I ever gonna stop that from happening? Uh-uh, you're gonna be able to Fix this relationship. Am I going to be able to keep this job? Am I going to be able to stop uh, this addiction or whatever? Whatever it may be, anything. Am I going to be able to get a new car? And it seems that by observing that, watching that go, what happens? And it takes time. What happens over time is we begin to see that we are that there's an object that's there, and there's an apparent subject that we're evaluating. We're evaluating how we're doing, and we're evaluating. Uh, what we're doing it with. So we're, we're maintaining that duality all the time. And what is being recommended and suggested is just stay in the perception of it. That takes time to do. You can't listen to one class like this one night and begin to practice that. It would be very unusual. But you could train your mind, which is what I, the teaching I said to repeat over and over. Don't, don't go through life without training your mind. Because if you go through life without training your mind, then any uninspected or, un, or unaware aspects of your karma, your body, speech, mind, your whole dynamic, your temper, your, your ability to control things, your ability to lose control, your name it. There's just so many things, passion, aggression, ignorance, all the different things you can learn. If you don't inspect that and look at it and get to know that and, and fundamentally find that area in your own mind, your psyche, where there's some kind of lower level warfare going on. I don't like this, I don't like this, I like that. Find that and uh, uh, and just look that, look at that and see where that's getting its energy from. Generally, it's getting its energy from some kind of internal politics about right and wrong, about correct and incorrect. It may be my, my modern psychological jargon, uh, parent tapes, you know, the tapes your parents okay, poured a bunch of garbage in your head. And this isn't to blame them because they had something done to them, and then their parents had something done to them. And culture is constantly yelling at you and saying, get a job, be, be prolific, uh, don't um, take your own way. It's just you know, it's all, just saying a couple of them, but they're all over the place. We begin talking to our young people right away. We've got to get a good education. I'm going to say it, and I'm not going to swear, but I'm going to say it. That's just stupid. Okay. Leave your children alone. Help them if they ask for help. But please get out of the politics of children business. Don't educate your children according to your own crazy mentality. It's kind of stuff you've been brought up with that you're trying to hide out from because you're trying to have. Not treat your kids the way you were treated. How many times have you said that to yourself? Good luck. I really So we sit all morning. What do we do in the afternoon to stop believing, disbelieving, or looking away? Very good. Thank you. And and what you will find if you sit a lot, that when you do sit down and you look at belief, disbelief, you'll notice that you can't help it. 
that it's a knee-jerk kind of, it's like you just think something's true. But the inspection of that over a long period of time will slowly will cause that to slow down. There's no guarantee because it's very different with each person and there's no way to, you know, get a guarantee or a warranty. So what you're doing is you're sitting down, holding still, and you're practicing, and then maybe later in the day you're actually setting up a time when you're going to look and see what do you believe? What do you disbelieve? Why do you believe some things and not others? What is belief based on? If you, I'm not talking about knowing something. You know this is wood. But, you know, this could be one not. Sometimes they're making things so amazing that you can't really tell what they're made of anymore. So what you, so what you would be doing is you would be seeing the way in which you keep grasping. Like I said, uh, talking about the Vasubandhu's statement, but if the consciousness ceases to reside in perception only, just the perception, not what's perceived and not the perceiver, not the perceiver, and not what's perceived, but consciousness or awareness resides in the perception. Just see, just hearing, just smelling, just tasting, just touching, just thinking. Very simple, one-shot deal. It arises and vanishes. Then the twofold grasping of that internal warfare about everything will continue to function. It won't cease to operate. It will just continue to take you apart, and you'll be challenged by some things and praised by other things and ignored by other things. Do you teach any um, relative practices that we could do in the midst of our day-to-day life of working yes. with that? One of the things that I, I teach as a relative practice is don't do anything unless you don't have to. If you're doing something you don't have to do, you're gambling. You don't have to do it. They put not missing anything. All you're doing is missing uh, tumbling around in the casino for life. You know, you're, don't do it. They put because if, if, if you jump up and start doing things based on you know, hope and fear and on impulse and on maybe this will work, don't say that yourself. If you have to say maybe it will work, uh, you got maybe 50-50. But look at the different, look at what happens. Then you tend to go this way or go that way. Hold still and wait. It's called patience. Don't get that. Could come up with a fancy word, but I'm not going to. Just sit, hold still. Get up. Fix breakfast. Sit back down. I'm not saying that you sit there until you starve to death. You're probably going to have to get a job. But that's something you have to do. In our society, you got to get a job. Go get one. Send me some money. <laughs> <laughs> so I can continue to be a lazy old monk. <laughs> so fundamentally what I'm saying is don't do anything unless you have to. And this way, you won't miss the thing that you would have been missing had you been looking at, I should try this, maybe I'll try that. Well, maybe this will work. Well, this, maybe this relationship, or this, maybe this, this person's pretty nice. It'd be nice to be in a relationship. Don't do it. And if you're madly in love, then what I'm saying goes out the window anyway. But don't, don't try things out. I mean, you also might want to let things try you out. If something comes your way, you can have the door open. Because then it might turn in such a way that you see that this is something I need to do. I don't need to check with soap balance. So, you, you become more clear about your um, options. I don't really use that word much. I don't think I ever use the word options. What I say is you either do it or you don't do it. It's very black and white. It's really cat and mouse, which might be a better way to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shane out in California. <laughs> Shane again. <laughs> he asks, can you gamble with awareness? 
No, uh, awareness just receives. Unless it's in the in the service of some kind of crazy thinking process that's working out of what paranoia, then the then the, uh, the awareness is all sucked into the into the uh, the carburetor of paranoia, and that runs the whole thing. And you run off this way, and run off that way, and push on this, and push on that, and fight with this, and make peace with this. But you only make peace because there's something in it for you. Control. You, you know, look. If you want to see how much control you have, this is my favorite example. See how that's working for you. So go look in the mirror. Pick one feature that you control. Okay, that face left. That's good. I mean, but that's actually manipulating something that was already there. So we don't we don't say, oh, I want a really bigger nostrils. You know how many times you wish for that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I would say look look in the mirror and, and really look closely. Stand, uh, give it eight. If you're looking in the mirror for eight minutes without particularly thinking of anything other than just observing, just observe skin color, whatever your skin color is, that, freckles or not, nose, eyes, in my case, one eyebrow is higher than the other. I'm always looking askance, even when there's no askances around. So if you're looking in the mirror, what you're going to see is all the complete evidence Proof. Yeah, don't say so about this. Like you came here, you didn't. Have, you didn't sit back and say, "Oh, what the hell am I doing today? I'm tired of being uh, an alien. I'm tired of being uh, a hungry ghost. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of being nobody. I think I'll. I think I'll try out being human. Probably going to be really, really difficult. And you are going to. And when I say I'm not condemning you or anything, but. Whatever you are, whatever's happening in your life, I don't care what it is, I don't care how horrible it is, it's a lesson. It's something that you could actually look at and learn from and, and understand and, and please. If you can, of course, don't do anything unless you have to, but if you can, uh, just be with that. Just be a good, as I've said before, be a good host. The other thing I've been pointing out lately, as a, a lot of things, is... Uh, a kind of generosity that you can you can do all the time. You can do it. You can do it all the time, and that and that's about giving something. Generosity is about giving something. This may surprise you what it is. Give your attention to everything. Don't miss anything. If you're busy thinking and evaluating and you know texting yourself in your head from one year to the other, uh, give everything your attention. Just re- receive what's coming and give it your attention. Actually, look, give, put, give attention to that situation. And in this way, clarify who you are, what you're about, what is really important to you, which is probably something along the line of happiness. Happiness is, right? happiness is already the case. You just spend your whole life covering it up. With, I want this, I don't want that, I like this, I shouldn't do that, I should do this, they said this, they said that. How can I get what I want? How can I get, how can I keep the bad things away? How can I get the good things? And sometimes when, when, when a huge, bright, shining platter of gold is brought to you and laid down in front of you out of nowhere, it freaks you out. Just, I don't think I deserve that. I'm just looking at Chavon. Just looking at that. Hmm, okay. <laughs> what I'm saying is we, we don't, we don't know how to receive, uh, which, if something kind of steps out of line that, that uh, doesn't match our expectations, and all of a sudden somebody's being extremely kind to us, loving us, caring about us, really loves us, you start to get paranoid. Mm-hmm. 
occurring as far as perception only, as far as consciousness only, as far as slowly uh, stepping away or outside of or clarifying your crazy mind of passion, aggression, ignorance, warfare, on and on, circular. I like it. I don't like it. It's good. It's bad. I'm succeeding. No, I'm failing. I'm succeeding. No, I'm failing. It's just a, it's an endless flow of just painful uh, advertisements. Sanho from Saginaw uh, wants to know, what is awareness? So awareness is a concept that points to something that's very difficult to describe or elaborate on, but probably the best way uh, to, to describe it, to respond to Sanho's question, is it's just the space in which things occur. It's just the space. And if you look at your mind over time, especially if you do it looking at a wall, eventually all the, the formations the thoughts, the ideas, the memories, the hopes, the fears that show up, kind of like clouds in the sky. Eventually, if you look at it long enough, you'll see that actually you're, you're not your thoughts. You're, you may be more like a sky, but if you look long enough, you'll see that you're not even a sky. You're actually the thoughts. This is called happiness. Well, you can go. John in North Carolina has a question. John. Two questions. What is it? <laughs> he asks, how do practices like loving kindness meditation or chanting work as awareness practices? And then do they work the same way as Zazen? So they're not as separate from it as they might look, but a lot of times the uh, um, Maitri Bhavana or kindness or gener generosity practices uh, kind of help you see how stingy you are. Rather than actually you're becoming more generous, you kind of see this is really hard to be put out of the people before myself. And then when you do mantra practice, uh, instead of actually do it as an awareness practice, it, we, you get to see how much it puts you to sleep. You do it a few hundred thousand times and you'll sleep. How do I know? I know how I know. <laughs> So this doesn't mean that we shouldn't do mantra practice. It doesn't mean that just because and sometimes when people sit in front of the wall and do Zazen and Shikantaza, they say, oh, I can't stay awake, I keep falling asleep. Good, fall asleep. That's awareness too. Awareness that you're falling asleep, awareness. Awareness that you're wide awake and bored, awareness. Awareness that your mind is flooded with thoughts and more thoughts, awareness. Awareness is king, awareness is queen. What's that other one? Awareness is them. So it's the awareness we're trying to strengthen. We're not trying to get our mind to calm down or be nice or do anything. We're, we're trying to make that, get that awareness so that's more of a priority so that whatever does happen in our life, we're meeting it with, not with our thought patterns, our paranoia, our hope and fear, and our judgments, our evaluations, and our navigations, and our strategies about every damn thing, about how to get better, how to get rich, how to, how to, how to, how to. Instead, we're meeting with our awareness, which then, if you meet it with your awareness, you see exactly what you need to do. Now, what exactly what you need to do might freak some people out, because you're present. You're living in this world, and they're living in this world. 
Anytime you start to believe your thoughts, you might as well be covering up your 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 eyes or your awareness. You're covering yourself up, and you're you're substituting perception only for a bunch of uh, uh, imposters called thoughts, ideas, judgments, opinions. Please don't do that. Listen to me. Just listen to what I'm saying. I say you don't have to be a Buddhist. You don't have to believe in any of this. I don't care. You may need to because this is the place where it's like a you know trying to um, be in a, a garbage dump and a job. You can't because there's too much garbage. You can run around a little bit. And the next thing you know, you've got an oatmeal box in your <laughs> So the exercise comes for all. But in here, this is meant to be, this is meant to be this way. So create a space in your home, a little spread things out. Somebody, your neighbors come and say, what's that? What's that uh, box with a candle on it? That incense, what's that about? That's why I meditate. What do you mean meditate? I sit I sit still and I uh, train my mind. And if they don't ask you anymore, you say anything. Sell nothing. Never advertise anything. Somebody needs to know how to meditate. You won't be able to keep it in mind. Shouldn't you? Earlier you said that we generally relate to things in a rotation of passion, aggression, and ignorance. Seems that way. What would it look like to relate to something without Kicking that wheel to keep it going. So it would the way it would look, uh, and this is just to, to respond to your question. It might not exactly be this way, but you would watch passion come up, and you wouldn't do anything with it. You wouldn't try to get rid of it. You would watch intense feelings of maybe real irritation with someone. Do nothing with it. You just it's just there. It just appears. You don't blame somebody for why you're feeling that way, and you don't blame yourself for why you're feeling. You don't say, "Oh, here I go again." doesn't work. Uh, or if you say, well, if they hadn't done this, I wouldn't be going through this crap. So those two there, no praise, no blame. It's not that there isn't some relative, you know, if I hit somebody, then obviously I'm the one who hit you. But as I've said before, here's just a very simple example. Here's something happening. It's a, just a one-shot deal. You have this, uh, this uh, coach of this stick, and you hit the tabletop, something happens. You could say, well, this caused say that, just like if I were to strike someone, uh, I would be causing that. But there's a whole lot of imputation and imagination going on there that is imputing or crediting uh, what's being hit and who's doing a hitting with a lot of strong identity that is separate. When fundamentally, this can't happen without these hands, and this hands can't happen without this body, and this body can't happen without my mother and father and their mothers and fathers and down through history, all of the dependently arisen situations that have been coming out of basic biology. And then this tree and someone who carved this and someone who built this table and someone who, and the fact that this table was here and the fact that I'm here and I'm doing that. The causes and conditions go on like, as it, in the teachings it talks about, a tributary stream flowing in the darkness. You can't see all the causes and conditions. But you can begin to understand that whatever occurs is backed up by absolutely untraceable causes and conditions. They're, they're uncountable. There's so many. They actually, they never come to an end. What is that called? Dependent origination. Not separate. You have to see it. You can't just think about it and believe in it and, and even preach it to someone else. You have to see it. And if you see it, uh, you probably won't even know what you're seeing. Choo-choo. If I start to see um, passion arising, 
Seems like there's a little bit of space before I do something with it. Could be. Is it just a matter of making that space bigger and bigger? And bigger? You don't have to. Don't, don't have a little space at all. Because the space is just something that awareness is uh, imputing to that. It's imagining the space. And so, one more thing. So if you watch it, the, eventually the space will shrink. And then it will get larger again. Selection. It's ego. Ego wants you to give you some credentials so you'll think you're getting better. Nothing happens. If you think something happens, you'll suffer. This doesn't mean something isn't happening. But it means that both something is happening and nothing happening. And again, not two. Anytime you can find one thing, find its opposite. And then tell yourself, repeat what I'm saying. If you find one thing that you think is something separate from the else, find the opposite to it. And then, and then see what that would look like if those were not separate. Because well, they aren't separate. Not something to believe. Don't believe anything. Further question. Don't you? Does the if I see passion arising and I see the space and then I see the reaction to the passion or the meddling with it? Yes. Is that meddling coming out of the space? What is the mm. where is the meddling come coming from? It's it's uh, that's where the grasping in itself. It's a very subtle thing. What you're doing is you're leaving the, you're taking the perception, and you're not satisfied with it, just the perception because it doesn't reinforce anything. It's just perception, and it's very similar to nothing happening at all, if not the same thing. Because it's just a perception, and and then we impute the motion. But fundamentally, from the point of view of realization, if you want to call it the point of view, there is no past and future. There's just this. Past and future is an illusion, and it's a pretty powerful illusion. It's almost as powerful as a Hammer on the head. Pretty powerful. More? Go ahead. Keep coming. How do we stay with the perception? Pardon me? How do we stay with the perception? You don't stay with it. Just, just, it's just a touch and go. No agenda. No agenda about maintaining anything. It's, it's, it's very, very uh, threatening to ego. Ego wants some kind of a protocol that's going to work. It wants a guarantee. And it wants to know that what it's doing, that's why it's so difficult to meditate. Because when you sit down and meditate, this is not happy-making for ego. Ego doesn't like this. But that's why it's necessary to have a teacher, a teaching, and a community of people who understand this. Not true believers. We're not talking about a... Um, we're not talking about a uh, uh, something we all believe in. It's not like a, a theistic approaches to spirituality. And they're not wrong. They're doing those people are doing what they need to do and need to be left home. And we're doing what we need to do if we're in fact doing it, which is a non-theistic approach to uh, the spiritual path. So not separating, not positing any kind of a creator person that's higher than us, better than us. Uh, Jim up in Muskegon, he's got three other people watching with him tonight. Okay. James. And he has two questions. Um, you said that happiness is already the case that we don't know how to receive, that we cover things up. What practice can teach us how to receive? Is Zazen enough? Well, it could be. It could be your shikantala, just sitting, just receiving. But also there are other practices of, uh, like I was saying, the post-meditation practice, or when you get up and you go and fix breakfast, or if you're talking to your friends or your enemies, or you're just uh, out here at the, the, at the post office and you're standing in line and you get, 
give everything your attention. Give it, don't, and keep it simple. Look at the colors that people are wearing. Look at the movement, the way people's body language, rather than looking at uh, necessarily their uh, their age or their skin color or anything that might trigger some kind of condition response coming out of the cultural context within which you were raised. There's a whole bunch of things buried there, as I'm sure you know. And we're not trying to get rid of those, but we're trying to say, let's just, just be here. Just notice gravity. Don't forget gravity. Gravity is, if gravity forgot you, which it's not, you know what would happen. You wouldn't be able to use the bathroom. And other stuff, too. But. Sorry. Bad joke. Yes. So when you say happiness is already the case, yes. if if we're suffering intensely with something occurring in our lives, no. are we supposed to try to be do happy. away with that or, or be happy in the midst of that suffering? Well, you, you know, you might be, because we're in an apparent uh, cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect, we're in a, we're in a, it's like you're already on the tilde whirl, you're already on the merry-go-round, you've already gotten on it. So you may have to, to see that it might take some gradual kind of slowly slowing down and getting off from that and stay away from things that are spinning. You know, you're, you've got something showing up as you, as you're, as I said before, go look in the mirror. This is taking times. And I'm not here to promote lifetimes, past lives. I'm not interested in getting you to believe anything. But something is happening because this didn't just suddenly show up, what, 25 years ago or 30 years ago or whatever your age is. It didn't just come out of nowhere. It came out of incredible causes and conditions going back to beginningless time. Human beings or organisms coming out and, and consciousness springing forth out of the organism. Watch. You know, watch a... A little bug. Incredible consciousness is happening. Just astonishing. And you think nothing of just that for it. You don't think anything of it. You don't think anything of blowing something apart or eating it. But then again, it's not about not doing that. It's about being aware of what's happening. So you so you realize that you're in a completely sacred space called consciousness. You, you, any, if you're going to be alive, you have to eat something. If you're going to be alive, you're going to have to kill something that's alive. You can't eat cardboard. Even cardboard is alive at one point. It's a tree. So, yes. Should there be any type of mitigating that, like, um, you know, wearing animal fur, or I guess, is there any, should we do anything in that realm? No, because to do that, what it'll do is if you do that, then you've got to, then you're into politics, which is not workable. There's too many, there's too many axes flying through the air. So you don't train your mind. If you, if you train your mind, then you'll know whether you should walk into that situation of not wearing fur. I'm not saying you should go out and cover yourself with fur, go the opposite, but stay in the context of your culture. Uh, even in our situation, this is not like a, a, a Zen monastery in California that is very much trying to look like you know, Japanese stuff. We do some of that, but we're careful about how we use the form to train the mind, not use the form to Make sure we're doing it right. You don't do right and wrong here. You might do, um, you might do something that's outside of the, the way we're doing the form, but we, we handle that and we work with that and do it in as a respectful way as possible. So as far as not wearing leather shoes or anything, if you want to do that, if you feel like that helps you, but quite often what that does, that builds up a little tiny, little bitty ego like this. It's a little bit better than everybody else, you know. I'm a special person who doesn't do that. Don't misunderstand me. 
I'm not saying you shouldn't join PETA or you shouldn't be for animal rights or you shouldn't find some way to stop all the suffering for animals because it's horrible. But as I said, when I say pick your battles, I'm saying don't do anything unless you have to. If you do that, then what arises, what you really need to do, is more likely that that may show up and it may be an actual path for you rather than a path that's kind of a, an imposter path or a substitute. I'll do this. This will be easier. That way I'll look good to my to my other animal lovers because I'm doing this. Just like the, not just like it because we don't know what happened, what went, went, went through her uh, cerebellum, but the woman who was marching to save animals and started shooting at people. It's just like intense confusion over that. You know, the, the actually, just like we do one way, we value the human over the animal. And she just turns it around and values the animal over the human. I'm not saying that's what she did, but there was some kind of confusion going on there that was maybe somewhat similar to that. No mind training happening there. Further questions? Yeah. What is the benefit of mind training? So mind training, using that word, mind training is to see what something actually is on the other side of your, your judgment about it. So it's to see through the opinions about yourself, about the world, about reality, to actually see what is fundamentally true. If you see what is fundamentally true, you're not getting rid of what is relatively true. This is wood. This is a sound. That's the absence of a sound. That's another sound. That sound happens somewhere or not. So what we're doing is we're, we're training our mind to sit very still and see what is fundamentally true. We think our mind is separate from our body. You think you can do one thing with your mind and something else with your body. No, you're pretty much screwed. Whatever your mind's doing, your body's doing that, or it's at least echoing that. Whatever your body's doing, your mind is, mind and body are not, they're separated somewhat, but they're not separate. They're not, maybe not as separated as your two ears, but there's, there is a separation happening that is fundamentally not separate. So uh, training the mind is just to see what, what is the mind? What, what is the mind? What is the thought? Rather than just sit around and think, uh, be hounded by your thoughts, actually hold still and watch thoughts come and go. See if you can see a, a thought appear, see how it looks and see what it's doing and then watch it go. See if there's a, a headlight and a taillight. And be real literal about it. Probably not, but you might see you might have an experience of what that is, and I can tell you in a couple of words what that shows up as after a while. But then again, it's for you to discover that. It's not separate. Thoughts are not separate from anything else. You don't have to stop your thoughts. Have a couple of minutes if there's any. Yeah. You say just observe. What's the difference between that which is observed and what? our belief in what it is. So, if we believe it's a bell, we believe it's a little door jay, if we take that for example, it's, it's a bell, <coughs> I can prove it's a bell. And so, we, we impute what that is. And it does respond and looks like one, and people will agree, yes, that's a bell. But if you see what that fundamentally is, it's not separate. It has a separation, but it's fundamentally not separate. You can even say, you are that bell. Whatever you are, whatever this is, whatever this observer is, is not separate from the bell. And, and I'm not trying to give you a headache, but just, I'm just saying that, that that has to be seen. We have to, you actually have to see the way you look at something, and then you add thoughts to it. I sometimes say, I often say, I'm saying no. Don't do the math. Don't do any math at all. 
math is like something happens and we add on. We add to it. We subtract from it. In other words, we like it. We don't like it or judge it. Or we, uh, what's that other call? Multiplication table? No. Long division. Yeah. We, we add, we subtract. Oh, we divide. That's right. We divide ourselves away from it. But don't do anything with that. And even if that happens, don't stop it. If it keeps going, if it comes back, don't stop it. Don't interfere with anything. Whatever's arising is exactly what you need to see. Train your mind. Liberate yourself. And the kind of freedom I'm talking about is not the freedom from something. It's fundamental freedom. There isn't anything to be free from. And there isn't anything to be addicted to or attached to. There isn't anything that doesn't belong to you. Should I keep preaching or should we end? Final question from anyone? Yes. How does observing separation help us see no separation? Because we we look at the separation without adding anything to it. So we see that we're we're separating ourselves. We see the separation. And we see that you can't have a separation unless there are uh, unless you're um, assuming there are two things. If you can see that the two things are not separate, then then there is no separation. It's like some simple example. You can't have night without day. You can't have light without darkness. Simple, but reflect just that simple one. The way we know about light is from darkness or shadow. So things were always one thing and not the other. So in need the the two-ness of the situation so you can see that fundamentally not to light and dark are not separate from each other. They get their meaning from each other. Does awareness help us develop a willingness um, to not get better? It could. There might be some kind of willingness or, or a wish to see more clearly. And so we know that we might have to push further. It's like going down a path that's very dark and, and brambles and sinkholes and what do they call those things? Squamitos? Things that fit you when you're in India? Those little things are after you. And it might, it's just like, well, you know, I'm, I'm on this path. I wanna, I wanna, I'm on this path. I wanna be here. I wanna go to the end of this path. So that kind of willingness. You know, it's like, this doesn't feel very good. And it looks like I have quite a ways to go. And I'm gonna stop checking the roadmap. I'm just gonna, I know where the path is. I can see it. I'm gonna, I'm going here. I'm gonna do this. So it's a sense of dedication, devotion, intention, all kinds of words. Uh, in our in our lineage, we we know how difficult this is, so we become monks, some of us, or we receive precepts so that we can say, you know, I I, I want to do this. I, I want to stay on this path. I don't know how long my life will be, but I've stumbled into this uh, path of the Buddha. I want to because that's your path. Maybe not for everyone, but. So I want to do this. I'm going to do this. And, and I'm not no longer looking for an outcome. I just, I'm not going to look for it. I, I'm going to, you could say, give the benefit of the doubt to the Buddhist teachings or to the Buddha or to the teacher or to the Sangha of the community. I'm going to do this. Because if you go back and forth and evaluate, then you get in what Trump or Rinpoche, my first teacher, called a spiritual supermarket. You try this kind of yoga and this kind of meditation and this kind of meditation app. And I don't like that app. I think I'm going to Use this other app because it actually tells me I'm doing pretty good. This on this one app actually tell you can tell when you're 
when you're having alpha waves, and and that means you know what that means. You have an alpha wave coming off your head. Meditation is not about alpha waves, although they want to make it that way because they want to concretize, they want to materialize meditation so that they can prove that some meditations are good and some meditations are not good, and so on and so forth, and make money and sell apps, on and on and on. Even though Zong Sar Kensei Rinpoche thinks meditation apps are okay, I think he's wrong. Well, except that one app might be okay, but very good, thank you so much. I'd also like to remind everybody about the donation boxes that are in the hallway. We need and appreciate any financial support you can help us with, also through PayPal or with debit and credit cards. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can.